one of the things I, I really enjoy doing is cooking um, and, and taking the time and, and trying to make things taste good. I remember in, in college and graduate school, that was my, I didn't want to um, didn't want to spend money going out, so I just tried to make as good a food as I could. Um, but one of the things that happens for the first time, I think, in everyone in this room, the first time you ever cooked for yourself, it probably wasn't the greatest meal ever. I'm just assuming. Some of you may have been, you know, just um, spectacular from the beginning and not had to work on anything, but um, but that was not the case for me. First time you, you cook something, it doesn't it doesn't taste good. And you cook it again, and it doesn't taste good. And sometimes you cook it, and it's completely inedible, and you have to throw it out <laughs> and try it again. When um, one thing that I've, I've learned and continue to try and work on is, is seasoning, is salting something. And usually, like when chefs talk about seasoning, all they really mean is salt. Uh, uh, but the, the trick of salt is you want to have enough so the food tastes good, but not so that you taste the salt. Because <laughs> if you taste the salt, it's too much salt. Um, and there, there, you know, there's, a, there's a balance. There's a balance in that. Most of the time, when you go to a restaurant, there's like five times as much salt than as you do at home. Um, the reason why a lot of like you know, dishes that are uh, pre-packaged is like low sodium. It's like that's why it doesn't taste good because they don't put the salt in there because they have to put the sodium count up. Um, it's the same thing with butter. You know, like most of the time in restaurants, there's probably like four times as much butter as you would put at home. It's like they put like oh, they ask you to put two tablespoons. It's like actually just just put a stick in. <laughs> but but the trick is you want to find you want to find a balance. To it, for it to taste good, you can't have an over like an overwhelming flavor makes food not that great. You know, we have um, a lot number of tastes on our tongue where it hits, and like the perfect meals so often are balanced with the with the sour, with the sweet, with the, the new flavor, the umami flavor, that savoriness, and getting that all perfectly balanced and not not too much of one thing. That uh, ancient philosopher Aristotle. Um, most famous for me from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, if you ever um, remember that one. Uh, but Aristotle talked about in ethics the golden mean. Hey, Effie. Um, yeah. Hi, buddy. The golden mean is doing such, everything appropriately with the same balance and, and acting appropriately wherever you are. <laughs> and some of us. Some of us don't have that balance. <laughs> we're figuring that out. And we see someone we love and we run over. And we see them playing with someone. But it's about, like, it really is. And it's figuring that out. And so, so a lot of life is like this. A lot of life is finding, finding the balance. Thank you. But that's not the case with God and with grace. Is that God doesn't want us to seek a balance of love in our life. There's not this measure of love. It's like, okay, I have enough love and I'm good. And I'm done. And sometimes... You know, sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes I have only so much I can give. Sometimes it feels like our lives and our relationships, well, it's, it's well-seasoned. A little more, is, it's going to be too much. And over and over again, throughout Scripture, throughout the history of the church, throughout experience, God shows us, no, there is never enough love. There's never a limit of the love that I offer for you. My friends, we're continuing and concluding our series on the general rules of the, the Wesleyan societies. 
and our fun little ruler. I still have a few more rulers, if you don't have one, um, that say love, serve, and grow. Remembering that rule is originally a term of measurement. It's not a term of beating someone over the head with a stick. It's seeing like, how am I doing? How am I doing with who I claim to be and how I claim to act? What, how, can I, how can I see that and understand that? Um, the first one, love, we talked about uh, John Wesley's first rule, do no harm. He is just amazing. Yeah. And first, first do no harm. Okay, Effie. Effie, take this, take this rule. Go tell it. The second one <laughs> is to is to is to serve our neighbor, is to um, do all the good we can for all the people we can. And that comes not out of this kind of guilt or obligation or duty, but out of what, how, the reality that God has already loved us, that God's love has already met us and reached us and come down to us. And so it is response to that. The last one is grow. At some point, I've thought of this as praise, as the title of the bulletin. I've changed that since then. Um, another, another famous uh, bishop in the Methodist Church, Reuben Drobe, wrote a book called Three Simple Rules. And he summarized it as um, uh, stay in love with God, which, which some people understand. I kind of find that too passive. That God is not asking us to be passive in this relationship, but to continuously change and grow. Um, that's why I put, put the word grow. But I think it's interesting. I want, to, I want us to take that idea of growth in God and come to this text for today that Jim read. The Luke 15, which is a very, very famous, but not this part. Um, it usually starts a little earlier. Um, usually starts as the story of the parable of the prodigal son. But today we cut in the very beginning of, of the older brother when he enters the story. And something that someone pointed out to me today, it's interesting that um, he was just, the elder son was just at work. And he's coming home and there's a party at his house. He has no idea what's going on. He has no idea what's going on. It's like, great, it's a party, what's going on? And then it's like, oh, you. (laughs) You're back. And it's an issue of expectation. And, And twisted expectation. And that's, that's how we get to this. The elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He asked, what is going on here? What is going on here? I wonder what he thought when he first got there. What is going on here? Oh, it's a party. Awesome. Who's the party for? Did my dad throw me a party? I wonder if he was thinking that. He might have been thinking that. Um, he might have thought, you know, this, this would not be strange in that time. It's like... What if I have, I have a wife? What if my dad found a bride for me and I'm going to get married? That could have happened, him coming home from the field and then having a wedding. Um, thankfully, that doesn't happen as much today as it did then. You come home one day at work and like, all right, here we go. Um, I don't think the reaction would have been the same as the older brother on that. Uh, but, but he comes home and the, and the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe." And sound. But then, the most normal reaction in the Bible, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Um, his father came out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a single goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son 
of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, your brother, was dead, and he is back to life. He's lost and has been found. Prodigal, now in English, has this kind of connotation of wayward. It really it means prodigious. It means wasteful. It means someone who, who uses all the things they have. It's like a person who you give a bag of, you know, a bag of popcorn to, and you want to share with a group, and they eat it all. Like, that's, that's a prodigal. That's a prodigious person. Or someone who spends all their allowance on the first day of the month and doesn't have anything left over. That's, that's prodigious. It's not about waste, wayward. It's about wasteful. Wasteful. And so it kind of, from the brother's perspective, this party goes in line with this wastefulness. There's a wastefulness of the son who wasted all of his inheritance. And now the father is continuing this habit of wastefulness. He's wasting the fatted calf. This, this, this calf that had been saved up. They were ready for it. It was for a special occasion. It probably, I joked about the wedding. It was probably the older brother thought it was for his wedding. He probably thought that was going to be. There's two feasts in an ancient wedding. There would be two feasts, the feast of betrothal and the final feast of the actual marriage when they join houses together. And so you got to save up the calf for that event. But it wasn't. It wasn't to be. It's this idea of expectations where this, this kind of shift, where we see the difference between our expectations and God's expectations and what is wasteful to us and wasteful to God. What did the younger son deserve? We, we think about that, but what did he receive? Did he receive what he deserved? And from one perspective, he did not get what he deserved. He got way too much. He continued. He wasted all the profits, and then he wasted the party. And this comes from a mindset of scarcity. That there's a limited amount of grace in this world. There's a limited amount of resources. The older son, and many of us, and I put myself in that basket, think, you know, if all of that energy is going to this, it won't be coming in my direction. Think that that's it. There's only, if there's going to be this party, there's not going to be that party. If this person receives that gift, I'm not going to receive that gift. Or the people I love won't receive it. But the Father shows and reveals this, this mindset of abundance. This mindset, the true overwhelming grace of God. That love and praise and thanksgiving is a complete waste from a scarcity point of view. You're all coming to church in a scarcity view is a complete waste of time. If there is no God, if God, Jesus did not rise from the dead, it is a waste of time. And this is what Paul goes into this in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Praise. The absolute waste of praising God. That it doesn't, there's nothing, there's nothing efficient in it. And if we only have, you know, this set of time for existence. Why are we doing this? Unless there is something more than the finite and the scarcity. 
I mean, if you want to talk about efficiency, Psalm 117 is about as efficient as you can get. Uh, uh, Jim read it earlier. It's the shortest chapter of the Bible. It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. When I was in college, I tried to have this discipline of reading a chapter a day of the Bible. And I kept it up for a while, but some days it would be kind of hard and, I would, you know, it happens. And I would be like, okay, I'm just going to read Psalm 117 for today. And so I would, I would, it's like, okay, done. I, I fulfilled it. Um, praise. The, but it's, it's, it's so brief, but it's as all-encompassing as you can imagine. Praise the Lord, all you nations, all of them. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. This is why praise isn't a waste. This is why the fatted calf is not a waste. Because of God's steadfast love towards us. Because of God's faithfulness towards us. This is where the general rules come in. And the idea of growing, you grow not you try to grow in grace, not because of um, you're being beaten over the head, not out of duty, but out of, out of longing for who God is. So often it can be this, this division between habit or duty. Ha- duty is doing something because you ought to. A habit is a, is a practice that builds on itself. It's like the habit of cooking. Like you, you build on it. If cook, when cooking is just a duty and you don't think about it and you just repeat it, you have the same bland food every day the rest of your life. When you build in a habit, when you start paying attention, when you start seeing like, oh, I wonder how this is going to work. I wonder how this is going to work. I wonder if I add this. Like, it gets better. You improve. And then your baseline improves. And you can start expanding. <coughs> this, happens, this happens with cooking. It happens with riding your bicycle. It happens with my three-year-old in church. <laughs> um, you, have to, you have to try and practice in that kind of way. You don't just like wake up one day. Like, I, don't know, I don't know about girls, but I don't, three-year-old boys don't just wake up one day and are perfectly sitting still in a worship service. <laughs> there is a habit of talking and discussing and bringing back and growing into that. And it doesn't matter. You know, it's not like if he's 15, he's suddenly going to be able to. You don't just grow into that. You, you build into that. Um, and it happens the same way with how we treat other people in our life. How we, how we, how we interact. It's a habit that you build on top of your past experiences. Continuously. And they, what, what's amazing is what God does in our habits. That God does not just leave us blind to that. But every time we try to show love in this world. Every time we take the time to, to pray, to read the scriptures, to go through, do the things of God. In that little crack, that little fissure of our exterior, that little opening of saying that I am not all that I can be, that there is something more in this world. God enters him. So often that is what faith is. Faith is admitting that I cannot save myself and that I need something more. And in that crack, God enters him. In that small space with that still, small voice that reminds us that you are loved, that reminds us that there is more in this world. And it, it expands inside of us. The God expands inside of us. Wesley describes um, 
the third rule is to follow the ordinances of God, which is about as old-timey a word as you could think of. Um, I think of ordinances like explosive ordinances. Um, that it's really like ordered like practices, but I mean, I think it really is. That, that connotation of explosion is what happens with grace in our lives. And what happens when we really build up those habits and build up those practices is we don't think of ourselves, oh, look how awesome I am. But wow, God has exploded with grace in my life. There is a difference going on. Wesley described it as um, the third general rule by attending upon the ordinances of God, such as the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures and fasting and abstinence. These are, these are ways that God is present. And these are ways that I, I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, that's to, that God will respond when you seek out God in that way. That God will respond and your life will change. And it's not going to wake up one day and be like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible today. I do not encourage you to try and sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one sitting. That's not, the point is not to acquire all this knowledge, but to transform who we are. And that this is a way that God is doing it. The amazing thing is God isn't just using this, this resource. It's not, it's not the issue. We're not limited to how we respond to God. That God still loves us. Even if we take this ruler and, and, and throw it away, if we take the Bible, we never open it, even if we don't take that time for prayer, God is still standing there with us, offering himself for us. God is still with us and with those in our church who cannot be here today who don't want to be here today, God is still with them. The love of God goes out and goes out and continues to be present. But so often we have this this idea that we need to save our gifts. We need to keep them back. We might might waste them. We might not be able to have them anymore. Like the the fatted calf. Like the fatted calf. And the the, the older son wanted to save it for what what about that next occasion when it happens? And this reminds me of, of... video games. Um, there's a lot of video games, some of you may have played before, but where you gather a lot of things like swords and, and, other, and armor and other things like, especially Zelda, the Breath of the Wild, which is a game I've played recently. Um, you, if you have, you, have, you have weapons and armor, if you use them too much, they go away. So you might like, find this like, really awesome sword, and you use it, and it breaks down, and it's gone. Um, and so, but with my scarcity mindset, I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to use that sword. Um, because then I might need it for later. And then you get in the, the end of the game, and you have all these swords and armors that you never use. Because constantly you're trying to think of, oh, I've got to save it for tomorrow. I've got to save it for tomorrow. I've got to save, you know, I might, I might need that tomorrow. I might need to, to spend that energy tomorrow. I might need to spend, sacrifice that calf tomorrow. I might need, you know, I might need to get, use that for tomorrow. And pretty soon we get to... The, the, the rich man that Jesus talks about who built up his storehouses. And then when his storehouses were full, he built up other storehouses. And he said to himself, soul, you have done well. Look at your storehouses. It's the same that Jesus says when he says, look at the lilies of the field, for they neither toil nor reap. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not as dressed as these. Do not worry about tomorrow. And he doesn't say that to say that you shouldn't worry. Or to, or to make people feel guilty if they worry, but to have people present to where they are now. 
that there are needs immediately. And it is worthwhile to offer yourself in an overwhelming way. Because, because great is God's steadfast love towards us. If we are all we have, if, like, like Paul says, if, if there is no resurrection and tomorrow we just eat, drink, and be merry, then, then I've got to save it. I've got to hold it. I've got to hoard it. I've got to keep stiff. I have to keep narrow. I have to narrow my heart towards other people because I may be hurt. I have to narrow my time with other people because it may not be useful. I have to narrow my celebrations because it may not be worth it. But... If Jesus is risen, if death has been defeated, if the Spirit is with us, if God's steadfast love really is towards us, if God's faithfulness endures forever, let us live prodigiously with love this day. See, that's, that's the thing. The, the, the result of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, is not that we need to be stingy, not that we need to save, but we just need to not, we need to be prodigious with love. Prodigious with offering ourselves for others. Prodigious with studying and seeking God. Prodigious with our time towards God. That that builds in the time we offer to God, the time in public worship, the time in studying the scriptures, the time in prayer builds towards God. Prayer is not a thing that is easy. Nobody like, wakes up and like, one day is like, okay, I'm a really good at praying for people. Most, most um, people who have uh, contemplative prayer practices, practices, who are able to sit and pray for like 30 minutes or an hour, they don't say that it's easy. They don't wake up. They didn't immediately be able to do that. It's a discipline that happens. It's a challenge every time. All of our attentions are challenged. All of our minds wander. God knows that. Yet when we seek God, God meets us and offers us grace, offers us forgiveness, offers us growth. And growth in God is what Wesley called sanctification. It's being made holy. Or as Charles Wesley said, to be emptied of everything but love. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what I hope for you. That is what I hope for myself. That is what I hope for this church, is that we can be a church that grows in grace. That we continuously empty ourselves of all but love. That we continuously, out of compassion, out of hope, seek what are the things that we are doing that are not of love. And how can we stop doing those things? Are there things of love that we should be doing? What are the ways that we are offering hope in our community? What are the ways that we are offering grace? What are the ways that we are offering, that we are celebrating people? What are the thanksgivings that we are saying? And how can we do that here? If I want to grow in love, I must love. I must do the things of God. And I cannot do them alone. We cannot do them alone. We are together. That is why we are at church. We are a church to respond to God. We are a church to draw God close to us, to be a place where God is present. One of the, the rules, the general rules, is the public worship of God. That's why we worship publicly, is because God is here. And we want to be a place where God is here. 
where we do Sunday schools and Bible studies is God is present in that, but God is not only present in that. God is present outside in our community, and so we go together. We send each other together. We encourage each other together. And so, my brothers and sisters, I hope if you do not have a ruler, or if you've lost yours, I have a few more. I will give it to you. Um, just to remember, I heard, I heard, heard back. An amazing, I met with someone this week who said how powerful this was. They, he put his ruler on his family table, and they talk about it every day. And I never thought it would actually work. Um, <laughs> but um, just what it, what it takes. And it may not be this. It may be a Bible. It may be a prayer. It may be one of the upper room. Or just some way of saying, I'm going to take a step with God this day. It may be a conversation at the potluck afterwards. I'm going to take a step with God this day. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to reserve myself because I know when I step out there, God will be with me. And this congregation will be with me too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.